been a while since we last talked here on the Oklahoma Senate on Deck podcast. Uh, July 2020, in fact, was the last time we posted an episode. So we are glad to join you again today. I'm Aaron Cooper with the Oklahoma Senate Pro Tem's office. There's a lot to cover from the recently concluded legislative session. So let's join Senator Greg Treat and break down all the highlights. Welcome back to another episode of Oklahoma Senate on Deck with Senator Greg Treat. Senator, glad to see you again. Yeah, we've been on hiatus for a little while. It has been a while. I believe July 2020 was the last time we posted a podcast. We've just been a little bit busy since then. Well, we tried one and uh, technological difficulties. Technology failed us as it sometimes does. Yeah, we were going to do a Facebook Live um, and let the public ask us any questions we wanted to, right? (laughs) <laughs> any, any they wanted to, not anyone we wanted them to. Yeah, no. But we'll try that again. I, I'm really intrigued by doing that, but our technology completely messed up that day. It did. We have a solution in ta- in a hand, so look for that soon. We'll be sure and promote it. I don't know if interim lends itself. I don't know. Maybe people want to know what's going on in the Senate. Let's uh, test it out Let's when the session's not going on. Dry runs. Yeah. Um, we're going to have stuff going on this interim like we always do, but uh, we'll get to that here in a little bit. So uh, it's been a while, uh, and as we record this, it's the start of June. The legislative session just concluded um, at the end of May. Uh, it's the summer season, so I wanted to start us off with a little bit of uh, small talk as I have here written on the notes. <laughs> uh, do you have a a best summer vacation memory or a story about best summer vacation? I can go first if you need time. Uh, yeah, you to think about your story. Right okay. What, one I'm of my. <laughs> this will be hard. Uh, so, one of my best vacation memories is of when my grandfather, Virgil Cooper, and uh, his wife, Ann, took me and my brother, Stephen, uh, to Disney World from Oklahoma. We drove there. I was in the third grade, and my brother uh, was in middle school. In summertime, uh, we both were playing baseball. I'll get back to that here in a second. So, they drove us uh, all the way to Orlando, Florida, where Disney World is. My grandmother read every road sign I believe there was on the way. Every restaurant we stopped at, I was, you know, third grade. uh, I thought I wanted to eat a salad uh, from the buffet. And so my grandpa would order me a salad. And then me being a third grader, I would go fill up on Coke at the free fountain um, drinks and that would make my grandfather mad because I then wouldn't eat the salad he probably paid two ninety nine for, <laughs> and then they got us to Disney World. Fun times there, uh, as as you have when you visit. Uh, except for I was very picky in the souvenir I wanted to bring back, and so I made you my, were picky. Yeah, it's hard to believe, right? I know. Uh, I made my uh, grandma, grandpa, and my brother walk all the way around Walt Disney World and trying to find the perfect souvenir and wound up buying the souvenir I saw in the very first shop right by the entrance, which was a uh, replica toy uh, musket, revolutionary musket. So, Do you still have it? That's the question. Um, I did. I think, I believe my parents kept it for me for a while, along with many other mementos from my uh, youth. Gave it to my nephew, so he may still have it uh, somewhere floating around. But now I hung on to it for a while. Uh, it, was, it was a pretty cool souvenir that we got there uh, at Walt Disney World. So that was a very, never went on any other grand vacation road trips after that. And I think it kind of uh, wisened me up to uh, the great American tradition of loading up into the car and driving. I was not, sometimes it's not all as cracked up to be, but good memory. It was just a little, uh, I'm sure I was not uh, the best travel companion 
being a third grader, being very demanding, very picky. But I think I've been paid back now with my kids uh, on some vacations we've taken. So, <laughs> Well, I won't try to one-up it, but mine, um, after my grandfather died in the early 80s, we would go to Red River with my grandmother and uh, aunts and uncles. Uh, Red River was a special place for me. And ironically, Marissa, my wife, she grew up going there because she had a grandma there. We never knew each other then. But uh, Red River, New Mexico is a special place to us because that's where we spent time right after my grandpa died. And then we continued that even after my grandmother died with my great aunt. We'd go there. And that's where I proposed to Marissa. Uh, after well, that's the, awesome to bring it back full circle. Then. Yeah. Yeah. So. Did you guys uh, river raft, camp, hike? What kinds of things were you doing? We hiked some. We played around at the stores. There's a roller rink there. We played air hockey, and me and Brian, my older brother, would get in fights over who won. (laughs) You Uh, competitive? No way. (laughs) Yeah. It's almost as shocking as you being picky. That's right. Uh, But the um, Red River, New Mexico is a special place to us just because of all those childhood memories. Uh, But... We didn't. Most of our summer trips were related to my sports, soccer in particular. Mm-hmm. Going around, mm-hmm. we'd spend a long weekend in Independence, Missouri, or Dallas, or Kansas City, or wherever. Those were fun memories as well. Well, that's a yeah, a good time to spend with family, and we all like to look back and reflect in the the good times and lots of great family stories uh, continue on. Uh, I know there's lots of fun stories that I won't get into here. Uh, because I don't want to embarrass myself. but uh, Virgil Cooper, though, trivia fact for the listeners. <laughs> 1994 Democrat nominee for 2nd Congressional District. Beat the incumbent. That's right, 16-year incumbent. And then, uh, then Tom Coburn prevailed, and then you and I both worked for him. That's right, I figured you can't beat him, join him. Uh, but Dr. Coburn and my grandpa got to be really good friends. And uh, when Dr. Coburn would go back and visit the district, he'd always kind enough to stop by a drum right and have a cup of coffee with uh grandpa cooper and talk about things uh, that was that's how i got started in politics and wanting to serve public service and dr cooper and that. i went to uh, your grandfather's funeral together we drove into town and sat on the back row and coburn didn't want the attention yeah that really him, so. really meant a lot to, to us that he he was there um so fast forward now to 2021 we like I said just wrapped up the session and it was a very successful session I think if you'd have told me at the start of the year all the things that we'd be able to mark down as accomplishment I would have thought you're being uh, facetious and and making up a list out of thin air but a ton of things really were accomplished um, and things were a lot different from where they were in 2020 um, to you, what was the biggest difference between 2020 and 2021? I mean, f- for one, pandemic gripped us in 2020. We had to shut down for several weeks. In 2021, we fortunately didn't have to shut down. We had pandemic protocols that worked. But, I mean, there was just so much. What a difference a year makes is, is what you've told people so far. Yeah, truly what a difference a year makes. The you know, 2020 session was a shortened session because of COVID, and we had a, a – Senate employee that got it fairly early on mm-hmm. uh, in Oklahoma, at least. Uh, pretty soon after that Utah Jazz, uh, Oklahoma City Thunder game. Right, right. And so we were consulting with OU and other health professionals, and we were trying to figure out how do we get keep people safe, right. uh, but still govern. And so we were able to get out. But last year, uh, 2020, 
you know, we had a veto of the budget, a veto of a bunch of bills, and we had to override a bunch of vetoes. Fast forward to this session. Well, then last year, real quick, the economic uncertainty from the pandemic made us cut one point three billion dollars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so a we good had point. a huge budget uh, shortfall last year. And yeah, then, most agencies took about a four percent cut. Education about two percent. Mm-hmm. We were able to restore all of those. Yeah, we that able was to invest historic mm-hmm. numbers in education again. Uh, we were able to put um, eight hundred million dollars in savings. Uh, above and beyond what was already there so this year was a of all the sessions I've been involved in uh, either in leadership or as a member first elected this was by far the most successful session we've had I mean there's tons of things to rattle off we we saved back money and still were able to invest in education and we provided tax relief for families and for businesses talk to us a little bit about the 50 foot thousand view from um, uh, 50,000 foot view from uh, the budget. Yeah, yeah, we were able to cut personal income tax by a quarter percent, put it in as, uh, under five, uh, which is a real competitive advantage when you're looking at trying to get employers. We were able to drop the corporate income tax by two percentage points from six to four. Uh, and we were able to uh, do tax reform in, a, in an interesting way, the tax credits for opportunity scholarship uh, for school choice for kids to be able to, to go to the school of their choice. That was a huge, huge deal. We were able to put $50 million toward Opportunity Scholarship Act, $25 million for public schools, $25 million for private. And we were able to really expand the scope for public schools where mm-hmm. every public school, without exception, in Oklahoma now qualifies to receive up to another 200000 in, in tax credit uh, help through investments and all those other things. And I've seen a lot of schools are, are using them currently and will greatly expand education innovation. I mean, they'll be able to maybe have some new programming or bring some specialists in or, or do a lot of amazing things um, with this additional money. It really could be a, a game changer for a lot of districts to go out and tap into that uh, new revenue. Yeah, we hit an, a new high water mark on education appropriations for Common Ed. It really facilitated being able to do a lot of innovative things this session, and, and I'm proud of the work we were able to do there. Uh, what are some of the other things from the Senate's perspective that are highlights um, in the budget? I mean, I know uh, here in the Senate the last few years, we've been focused on getting more dollars in the classroom. You, you touched on that briefly. We are able to restore the pandemic-related cuts, add additional money. Uh, what are some of the other things um, that the Senate got out of the budget agreement? Well, there's a ton. You know, economic diversification is something that my caucus has cared about for a long, long time. We were able to really uh, take a huge bite at that apple mm-hmm. uh, in, in both film rebates and also other investments uh, in, through Commerce Department. Right. Uh, and so I think that's a huge win. Definitely. I think the $800 million in savings is a huge was a huge priority of ours this year to make sure that we, you know, when you're doing tax reform, some people get concerned when you're cutting personal income tax, corporate, including myself, wanting to make sure that you don't get ahead of yourself. Right, right. And so saving back that $800 million really gave us the flexibility to do some really innovative investments in Oklahoma. What's our rough uh, savings account balance, for for lack of a better term, right now? Or when we put that $800 million back? Is it $1 billion? Or? Yeah, we'll be in excess of $1 billion now. Yeah. Uh, we were in excess of $1 billion before the pandemic. We were in a really good spot. Yeah, and uh, that helped out a lot during the pandemic. I mean, yeah. sort of mitigated some of the cuts and, and helped us during that difficult time because, you know, it wasn't but six or eight years ago 
uh, we didn't have anything in savings and had to make even more drastic cuts. Well, when I talk about the $1.3 billion in cuts, is really $1.3 billion in spending changes we had to make. We had to pull some of that out of savings, mm-hmm. and we had to cut. We mitigated the severity of the cuts by taking some out of the savings that we had built up. But we want to be prudent. And so hopefully we can get to $2 billion in savings uh, in short order. Uh, and that puts us in a really good spot uh, to be stable, uh, to not... Uh, panic uh, when things go down when you right. have an economy like ours that is still very dependent on oil and gas revenue mm-hmm. and not the taxes on oil and gas but all the ancillary Activity. taxes that come yeah. in from mm-hmm. it income tax mm-hmm. corporate tax sales tax property tax all of those things oil and gas really drives a lot of that in Oklahoma and that's one of the reasons we really try to put our foot down on the pedal on diversification I think we'll make I think we made tremendous strides this year Oh, it makes great sense. And I know Senator Thompson, the chairman of our Appropriations Committee, said uh, the numbers were sound on that. The same uh, person who gives us the foundation of our uh, Board of Equalization numbers and and certification numbers on how much we can spend uh, had good things to say about the the economic benefits of the at least the film uh, tax incentives. Yeah, Mark Sneed uh, really did. And then we also did a – it gets called the rural, but it's really the underserved broadband issue, which – the pandemic really highlighted mm-hmm. disparity and access to high-speed internet, both in the metro areas and, and especially in rural areas. Yeah. And if we want to grow our economy, if we want to reverse the trend of uh, some of these smaller towns uh, really drying up, having broadband access drives commerce to all of these towns. And there's a huge disparity. The federal government's recognized that too. There's right. some investments there, but we made huge investment there, uh, $42 million uh, this year. Mm-hmm. And just to show a little bit of the magnitude of how successful we were this session, we started off thinking that it was going to be hard to get to 500000 <laughs> right. um, in rural broadband uh, credits, and we were able to go to $42 million this year. That's quite a quite a jump there, and it just shows the the good position we were thanks to decisions made last year uh, for this year's budget. But that's going to spur economic activity. Yeah. It's going to spur commerce. It's going to spur revenue. And uh, and, and, the, and uh, the practical thing with the expansion of telemedicine, another thing that more people became familiar with during the pandemic, and obviously all of us with kids in school became more familiar with uh, virtual school remote participation, that's going to help in those two areas, too, which are important in the underserved areas around the state. That's going to help. And one of the things transitioning to a different, uh, probably something on the side of the ledger that I was disappointed we didn't get done, but uh, hopeful that we'll get done in the future, is modernization of our Open Meetings Act. We right. had to temporarily open that up uh, during the pandemic. So school boards, city councils, mm-hmm. uh, other commissions uh, could still meet and do the business, which was really important. But they had to remain accessible to the public. And so we opened right. that up with large success of having a lot more participants. I can even attest here in the Senate having the ability to use Teams or Zoom to bring in experts. We got experts from around the country to testify in our interim studies last mm-hmm. year that we would have never dreamed right. been able to do, you know, having to pay hotel and airfare and all of that mm-hmm. and just get on some of these people's schedule. Uh, and so I really want, I know exploit has a bad word, but I want to exploit that to its fullest to be able to get it. We tried to open it up. We didn't get there to the finish line this year on it. 
you think that's something you're going to look at for for next year already oh yeah i'm going to definitely uh try to get that done and you want to make sure that they're still accessible they're still in public you know if you're an elected city council or school board right or the legislature that you're still having to meet in person but there's so many of these places that could really benefit number one having to put their information online yes. so people can see it participate yes. that way but number two like the boards and commissions that i the speaker and the governor appoint people to we could get a much more diverse portfolio of participants regionally, right. uh, racially, economically, if we could get uh, the ability to to appear remotely, remotely and participate mm-hmm. remotely. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got to do that because if you're in the Panhandle or if you're in Ida Bell or if you're uh, you're a single mom working uh, jobs to try to you know take care of your kids. You still want to maybe be able to serve your state in some way, and, and right. I think we'll have an opportunity to open that up. You don't want to, uh, you don't want to make it more opaque. The whole, the whole idea behind it is to make it more transparent. I think that's gonna. It was a big uh, help during the pandemic. Uh, reporters I talked to were able to sit in one location and cover multiple meetings. Uh, they weren't having to drive two hours to cover a city council that was outside of the me- major metro area. And like you mentioned, opening up the pool of people who can serve, it's a huge time commitment to drive to Oklahoma City from two, three, four hours away uh, for a monthly meeting. Yeah. Uh, so this it's exciting to see. And here in the Senate, we're very familiar with um, the executive nomination process and hopeful that uh, that changes to the open meeting coupled with the executive nomination process will open it up to more people who aren't able to serve right now or don't have the time and uh, ability to It's to hard back. to find people to serve on these boards. because it Some of them get mileage, some of them don't. None of them get a salary. Well, except ODOT, they get a, a stipend. Mm-hmm. But the vast majority of these appointments are fully voluntary. And to get someone, even from Tulsa, you drive an hour and a half, if, you, if you're in the business world or you're a teacher or whatever, you just can't. Right find the time so we've got to open that pool up a little bit and i think we'll have success jumping the ledger back if, if i can though i want to make sure on the positive side that we talk about behavioral health services for children yeah, i know that's something senator thompson the budget uh, chairman here was very uh, excited about and in the post-session interviews was mentioning that all the time yeah it was it something had a big that deal. he and i worked on uh from early on in session there, mm-hmm. there's with the pandemic, it exposed the vulnerability of um, youth uh, to mental health issues, behavioral health issues. Uh, we already were seeing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but Oklahoma had to transport way too many kids out of state to get services. Mm-hmm. And so OU came with a proposal uh, that's going to renovate one of their floors at the OU hospital here in Oklahoma City uh, just for children, uh, for behavioral health. And we put 9.9 million toward that this year. It's a three year, uh, $27 million deal that I think will make a huge lasting impact. And we were able to get that ball rolling in a very significant way this year. That's, that's an important uh, victory and it, it may seem small in the grand scheme of a $9 billion budget, but it's going to have a huge outsized impact uh, when you're talking about how much money we invested. And, and that's one of the great highlights um, from this session. Let's switch the gears a little bit and talk more on the policy side. The budget was amazing, but there were huge policy victories uh, as well. Talk. Let's talk first about education. Like we just said, a $3.2 billion state appropriation. That's a record. More than $202 million. And that doesn't account for all dollars. I want to make right. sure when we talk <laughs> about education, 
it's a much bigger number when you count local property tax dollars right. uh, and other things that come off the top. But just the state general revenue appropriations, $3.2 billion, which is huge. It is huge. $210 million in new dollars, which I don't think you mentioned this before. Uh, that new infusion of money triggers some of the uh, class size reductions yeah, for kindergarten, kindergarten and first, first grade, which is huge in those early years to have uh, smaller class sizes. Uh, and then, we, of course, we talked about the Equal Opportunity Scholarships. So on the policy side, education had two big uh, uh, wins. Tell us about that. Yeah, open transfer and money following the student. We did fairly early on in mm-hmm. session, so we I did. forget to mention it sometimes. <laughs> but uh, open transfer, basically, within the public school system, the, you can go within caps. You know, Each school has a cap on the capacity of kids they can have per grade. But you can transfer. Uh, if you live in a zip code that doesn't have an FFA program and you want your kid to participate in FFA, mm-hmm. or if you want your kid to be in an engineering program that your school district doesn't offer, we open that wide open for open transfer. Again, with some limitations, sure. local school boards setting the restrictions. But if they reject it, we, ha- we require transparency of why did you reject it. Right. Uh, and then money following the student. The heretofore we've had what we've called a three-year look back it was really two years and nine weeks Mm -hmm. where a school district if they were declining in size was able to count that student for that two years and nine weeks and so a lot of kids upwards of 50,000 kids potentially were being double counted so it diluted the per capita expenditure for students statewide this allows school districts that are actually having the students to get the money to be able to educate them we did go back and, and later in session and open up the ability more quickly for schools to have greater reserves so they right. can cushion. Sure. Uh, if they know that they're going to have a, a declining student population, they can prepare starting this fiscal this next fiscal year. Mm-hmm. And so it's huge, though. Open transfer is a big, big part of the choice movement, the public choice movement of being able to have your kids wherever best suits their educational needs. Right. And then the money following the student just it makes logical sense. Well, I think most people thought that's how it worked, that the dollars followed the kid wherever the kid was, whichever district they were in, and, and it, people, students were being double counted, triple counted, even uh, because they've moved for whatever reasons they moved. And, and before, you had to get permission from the receiving school and the sending school. Mm-hmm. So if your kid was being bullied in X school district and you wanted to move them to Y school district, not only did you have to have Y say, yes, we have the capacity, you had to have X say, yes, we'll release that student. And it was a financial disincentive for them to do that because after two years and nine weeks, not saying that schools didn't do it, but there were a lot of kids who were rejected and we didn't know the reasoning. So this really brings some transparency to that process as well. Yeah. Excited to see that. Um, um, Pro-life issues are a, a big important to you, uh, and there were several bills signed into law. First was your bill. It's kind of colloquially known as a trigger bill here at the Capitol. Explain that a little bit. Yeah, so if Roe v. Wade or its progeny ever gets overturned, uh, the, the, our state law that's on the books still that says that uh, abortion is illegal uh, becomes valid again. And so it requires the Attorney General to assess did the precedent in Roe v. Wade, Planned Parenthood versus Casey at all get overturned? And if it did, we immediately go back to the will of Oklahoma and the mm-hmm. will, uh, the, the whole reason I got involved in politics to save unborn life uh, gets uh, triggered by that action. 
several states have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we tried to do it a couple of years here, finally had success on it this year, and I'm, I'm very excited. Excited is the wrong word when you're talking about pro-life. It's the prudent thing to do. It is, uh, and especially in the last uh, few weeks as we record this, was it three, four weeks ago, the Supreme Court announced it's taking up new uh, 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 abortion cases which have the possibility to change the landscape uh, to what we know now. So Yeah, experts in this field tend to think that if the court ever does overturn it, it just returns back to state by state. Mm-hmm. And Oklahoma, since the early 1900s, prohibited abortion but in 1973, uh, that got invalidated uh, with Roe v. Wade. And so this would just, since then, we've passed a lot of laws uh, that put parameters around abortion, ultrasounds and 24-hour waiting period and, and uh, some restrictions on RU46 and those type of things that if all of a sudden uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned, you wouldn't want a court to be able to interpret, well, since Oklahoma has these regulations that they still want, uh, still want abortion. Right. No, that's not true. We, we want to eliminate abortion and save all unborn life. Uh, and so that was a strong statement, but it's more than a strong statement. It has real teeth to it uh, that we can uh, hopefully see the day in our lifetime where um, unborn children are, are valued as much as um, all the rest of us. And speaking, the phrase real teeth was something we used a lot uh, this session. Uh, another thing, another big victory was the ability to uh, push back against all these attempts at federal overreach we're seeing. I mean, uh, we put money uh, behind that, and we also put mechanisms in place to protect uh, state power here in Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, House Bill 1236 uh, finally had a, a compromise on that that is good. Uh administrations for the last 40 or 50 years in D.C. have continued to usurp authority, mm-hmm. uh, Republican and Democrat. And the Constitution is very clear that if it's not explicitly spelled out in the U.S. Constitution, it's reserved uh, first to individuals or to states. Uh, individuals have rights and states have powers. And so in, in 1236, we created a mechanism where the legislature can uh, request an AG uh, to intervene, and if the AG refuses to, when I say AG, Attorney General, uh, refuses to intervene, then we hold reserve power to be able to seek uh, a court of competent jurisdiction to rule one way or another uh, if if the federal government is overreaching their bounds, which they have done far too often. We, we see it all the time in all different areas of policy. There's a, a ton more highlights to go over. We're, we're running short on time here, and um, I guess maybe we can live to talk about uh, more things um, in another episode. Uh, anything else real quickly to highlight yeah, from yeah. this past so, session? Real quick, when we talk about putting money behind the federal overreach, the money was also, uh, to the AG's office, was also about uh, foreign actors buying land in Oklahoma uh, related to the marijuana business, mm-hmm. and also about... McGirt, and so at some point we probably to go into some more link uh, detail on McGirt, but the McGirt decision, you know, held that reservations were never disestablished, and therefore the reservations of five of Oklahoma's tribes still exist, and that's on the criminal side. the The real question is what happens on the civil side, and so I know we don't have time to go into it, but there was money put aside there, and also money put aside. Uh, for the executive branch uh, in concert with the legislative branch to be able to to uh, protect Oklahoma's interests there. 
Well, that's all that we have time for now. Uh, we've been gone so long, there's so much to talk about. So um, We'll see you next July. <laughs> I guess we will. It will be uh, that's our, that's good. We're going to the summer schedule now, so probably uh, approximately one episode a month, or as uh, the need arises, we can have a special uh, episode of On Deck. Uh, before we close out, anything else you want to remind everybody uh, listening at home about? No. Uh, have fun this summer. Make your own summer traditions and memories, and don't be uh, selfish when your grandpa is trying to do a good thing. <laughs> That's a good reminder. Uh, send us an email uh, on deck at okcenate.gov. Find us on social media. Uh, tag us. Uh, leave us a question, the comment we want to talk about, and answer questions that are relevant to you. You can find Senator Greg Tree on social media. You can find the Oklahoma Senate Republican Caucus on all the social media platforms. So, until we talk next time, thanks for joining us, Senator Treat. Thanks for being here with us. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. See you next time.